is fun for me to think like about the off camera stuff that is like something magical is happening when this person is just like hanging out on their couch. I, I, I tend to think about the moments when one is not consciously performing. This is Your Magic. I'm Michelle T. Today, I get to hang out with and read cards for the incredible writer Morgan Parker, author of the young adult novel Who Put This Song On, the poetry collection Magical Negro, and other stunning literary works. We're going to talk about magical moments, Sagittarius moons, and having a daily nothing practice. After that, producer Vera Blossom is going to share a pop-obsessed spell you can make at home and wear on the street. Stay with us. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I think that my biggest, longest, most intimate and intense magical practice has been being a fan. Yes, a fan, short for fanatic, and it has occasionally earned that title. Like when I waited outside Billy Idol's hotel for 16 hours so that I could tell him I loved him. Or when I stood in the freezing cold Bostonian winter in a pair of purple shorts trying to wear Prince tickets. Or before I got sober, getting so deeply, psychedelically obsessed with a certain musician I'm way too embarrassed to name, that I actually believed he was probably dreaming of me. My energy toward him was so powerful, I just thought he had to be feeling it in some mysterious way. Yeah, fanatic. There's a way of thinking about the artists who move us as sorcerers. If you're like me, sensitive to art and music, sentiment and passion, you might have also had the experience of falling under a musician's spell, feeling enchanted by an actress, mesmerized by a painting. I have so many memories like this, feeling my heart catch in my throat as Chantouse Justin Vivian Bond wailed her cover of Nina Simone's 22nd Century Live in San Francisco. Oh, I'll never forget it. Experiencing euphoria while in the front row of a TV on the radio show while in the throes of PMS. I had a legit spiritual high from gazing at a Mark Rothko for an extended period of time once. I got the chills from a committed lip sync at a drag club. The list goes on. As an artist myself, someone who hopes to provoke strong feelings in the hearts of strangers via my words, it feels so good to devote myself to the artistic production of another. The ego that so often traps me while I'm creating is blissfully gone when I'm enraptured by a song, a performance, a piece of art that seems to go through my eyeballs and straight to my brain. That sense of egolessness, it's a teaching in so many spiritual practices. It's as close as I've come to feeling one with the universe. When I was younger, I confused the blissful feelings I got with the artist who inspired them, which was really fun. I loved painting my favorite band on the back of my leather jacket, waiting outside backstage doors to give them flowers. 
Now, while I still enjoy the thrill of fanaticism, I sort of think that the output of any artist, while it comes through them, it's not necessarily of them. Creativity is so deeply mysterious, mystical, you can even call it sacred, I won't fight you. Inspiration is magic. Maybe the reason certain pieces of art can make us feel one with the universe is because that's what the artist was channeling, the big, beautiful, magical universe. Here's Morgan Parker. Hi, Morgan Parker. Thank you so much for being a guest on Your Magic. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. My first question for you, Morgan, is, I mean, I kind of know the answer, but I just want the details, is like, do you have a magic or spiritual practice? And what does it look like? I've been trying to be quiet and still. That's like a new hard thing. (laughs) It's been like four therapists long, everyone telling me to be quiet and still. I do take moments throughout the day to pause and, and connect myself historically in the world. I, I think a lot about ancestry and lineage and and included in that is also future generations. So I guess my practice is more that kind of reminder of myself within a larger story. You know, I think we can be so very stuck in our own, I mean, for me, my mind, but also just like our own present day, yeah. like, nerves. Um, so yeah, I have, you know, I have a little lipstick case of my grandmother's. I have Aww. photos of, of family and, and just kind of little things all around um, my house that I kind of, that make me kind of pause and, and remind me that uh, it's not just me here because I'm not a super disciplined person. Mm-hmm. So I like to just kind of be um, constantly reminded um, by things. And, oh. and I pace a lot. So I'm able to just kind of look around and, and, um, be reminded of all the, all the stuff that makes me rather than, um, all the stuff I'm feeling. Do you think about yourself as a future ancestor? Yeah, absolutely. People, a lot of people know this, but I, I'm like bullshit on linear time. I think it's, um, it's just, too easy. Um, and like things can't work that way. You know, I, yeah. I don't feel like we're here just this like generation. I kind of need to depend on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can't imagine being trapped on one kind of plane of existence and not being able to kind of understand the other planes. God, when you say it like that, it does feel very stressful. I know. Just to be boxed in in this dimension, in this time, space, time, continuum. Yeah. Yeah. So really, there's like other uh, timelines that are already having you on their altar as like their chosen ancestor. I like this. What? How would you like to be revered by these people? I want to be the like, we'll encourage you to do what you're uh, nervous to do. The like, fuck it, just go ahead. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like what I want to spread. And yeah, that just continuing that idea of community that spans time and space, you know, that presence. I, I feel like I, I depend upon that kind of like presence of a whole team of folks around me, you know, both like, like astrally and in the physical world. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. I mean, do you ever I mean, I was thinking about community magic. And I'm wondering if there's a way of thinking about our communities as these sort of covens and that the things that we do with our people is a sort of spell casting. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, I think there's a really exciting idea space that comes and and obviously, you know, most of my friends are writers and artists. So uh-huh. there's that already. So there's a lot um, of magic happening. There's a lot going on. You know, it's like you get all of these brains and feelings together and 
it is palpable, you know, um, to feel that kind of like electric shock all around the table, you know, and realizing that the kind of kooky things that you're dreaming up are very connected to the things that your folks are also thinking about. And I find that to be really encouraging and in um, the art and literary worlds in particular, it's Mm -hmm. like very grounding, like, oh, okay, I understand you're doing the exact same thing. You just did in performance art, you know, Uh it's, um, it's encouraging to be part of a larger, again, like a larger story, you know? Um, and I feel more myself when I can be located within that. Who are your chosen ancestors? I mean, I don't think of it in terms of people that, you know, I feel necessarily connected to in terms of lineage, Uh you know, um, in terms of, almost like influences, less that, uh-huh. more kind of, um, yeah, figures that are like heroic to me yes. um, or that I call upon all the time. Harriet Tubman is like the OG of just the the number one badass. Yes. I mean, like a superhero, like a superhero, but also a human. And I, I think a lot about that. Like that is just, that was just a lady, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's who did things that are outside of the realm of what we consider humanity. Fred Hampton is someone that I think about a lot mm-hmm. because, because he was killed when he was 21 and he was already so, so, and so influential and so had really worked out a beautiful philosophy and, mm-hmm. and um, idea for how to move forward. And yeah, I just miss folks like that. And, yeah. and I often think just about that his life was cut off and just remembering that there is, there are people that we have to fulfill the work that they left behind, you know, yeah. um, like, how can I honor these folks in my daily living, mm-hmm. you know, um, to thank them really. I mean, I have, Fred Hampton tattoo, so I don't forget. Oh my <laughs> you know? god! So, again, like just needing to be reminded of things, and that's so devotional, though. That's really beautiful. It's like your body is a little, a little ancestor altar, right? It totally is. Zora Neale Hurston's here. You oh know? <laughs> my god! That's so fantastic. Wow. What else are tattoos for, you know? I mean, it's really true. Like, that's a great attitude to have towards tattoos. You know, you're a fan of pop culture and you really, you elevate pop culture within your poetry in this way that's really beautiful. And it just makes me wonder if you if there's also a sort of like mystical or devotional aspect of being sort of a fan beyond what we were talking about. I mean, Fred Hampton and Harriet Tubman, obviously they're like such revered historical figures. And I'm also, but I'm also wondering about like more pop culture, you know, like more lowbrow as, as the critics would call it, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think about Diana Ross a lot and, and some of these are like magical Negroes that showed up in my book. There were so many other particular magical Negroes that I wanted to write about and they still like keep coming up for me. I was watching that documentary with Muhammad Ali and George Foreman when we were kings. And there's this shot of George Foreman in this incredible, like, matching denim embroidered, like, floral embroidery on denim suit with a matching hat. And he's getting off of the plane in Africa and walking his dog in front of him in this phenomenal outfit. And I'm just like, that... Like, that's a moment in time, you know, like that is 
an electrifying, sparkling moment. What do you think is the role of the sort of mundane and ordinary in ma- in magic and magical practice? Because I get what you're saying. It's like, this is a historic moment, right, in our culture and like mm-hmm. an incredibly profound moment for these two men who are like returning to Africa or going for the first time, you know, like ancestrally returning. But mm-hmm. they're also, it's also a dude getting off a plane, right? Yeah, yeah. I do feel like I'm, I'm much more... Um, like activated by those those small moments within the larger moments mm-hmm. or or I mean and 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 it's similar to my poetry where I'm looking at something pretty quotidian or surface level but I'm seeing this bigger thing and mm-hmm. um it's not necessarily like even if he wasn't going to this big monumental fight it would still be this interesting little morsel that I could see something big happening in that small moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that is, is fun for me to think like about the off camera stuff that is like something magical is happening when this person is just like hanging out on their couch, you know, <laughs> like yeah. feeling themselves and like, you know, eating leftovers. Like there's, there are magic moments. I, I find that they're, they're more, they can often feel more authentic. I think performance can be really tricky and sometimes we can even trick ourselves about what is performative. So I, I, I tend to think about the moments when one is not conscious performing. What do your poems feel like when they come to you? I mean, I'm getting a little bit of insight just from you talking about this George Foreman poem that's sort of brewing. I'm going to be so psyched when you write that. I'm going to be like, ah, I feel like I got the behind the scenes, you know? But yeah, what is it? What, what, what is that like? Sometimes it's scary um, where I get a thought and I'm like not really sure what to do with it. And sometimes the poem is like calling and I feel afraid of the impulse, you know, and I kind of have to like warm myself to the page. I mean, part of it is that mystery and that unknown. And when something feels promising, when writing feels promising to me is when it feels scariest um, because I know that something is going to unfold, but I don't know what that thing is and like I know the task ahead but the rest is is very dark and so uh, that's exciting and it's it's that is what you want when you sit down but it's also um scary yeah just like a fear of my own brain you know like what will happen once I go in this direction I can't believe I've waited this long to ask you this but like what is your astrological makeup oh my god what who are okay. you <laughs> how did all of this happen how did you happen it's a lot going on um sag sun and moon and mercury and saturn and i think six placements um in sag wow that's extreme to have six placements of any planet and sag yeah. is already the planet of extra it's, it's the extra sign <laughs> ruled by the extra planet so exactly yeah my my rising is gemini which is so similar to sag don't you think it's so similar they're like the same but just different a different elemental uh manifestation of a very similar energy i think exactly so my chart is actually really hard for me to kind of work with because of that um because i feel like there's usually so much interplay in sun moon and rising and because the sun and rising are at opposite sides of the zodiac and kind of like have that mirror of each other. Uh-huh. And because the moon is the same, it's there's not that many elements to, you know, compare and contrast and all of that stuff. My chart, I wish it had a little more earth 
I don't think I even have that much water, but I'm obviously like one of the most emotional people I've ever met. So I don't know. <laughs> Sa- a Sag Moon. I have a Sag Moon also. And I, I was just reading about that. And it's like, we're the biggest crybabies. Like our it's emotions true. are on 10 and we need to express them. We're not like ever going to go cry in the corner. I always think I'm going to be like, whenever I go through something or have a heartache, I'm like, well, they'll see. I'm just going to shut down. I'm just going to shut right. Right down. And I'm just going to. They don't see it. I'm just going to go in the corner and I'm just going to become one of these stoic people now and it's like no I'm not I'm gonna write a memoir about it and I'm gonna blast it and you know but we do need a chance and I think we're so good at doing that right of just like turning it publicly into gold but it's still like we're we're dealing with that I yeah I have quite a few friends that have um Sag Moon and and they're the ones where it's like we can safely like cry together because people don't understand and everyone thinks we're good do you have like a daily, t- are you like a person with a daily tarot practice or? I have a daily nothing practice. Like that is something. Of course, Sagittarius. Yeah, I can't, I haven't quite located any kind of daily anything, but um, I do try, you know, at least once a week, just so I can look at the pictures really and and be in touch with all the different elements, I totally. guess, because yeah, it's, it's hard to remember all of the elements. Do you think that it's, it's easier or that like writers have like a natural sort of gift or predisposition for reading cards? Like, do you think it's something that comes a little bit more naturally to us on some level? Probably. I mean, it feels so much like analyzing a poem or a story or whatever. I mean, and you really are reading a narrative. So it follows to me, you know, Um, it, or at least it, it lives in that same area of my brain. And then in addition, there's this other part of like my heart (laughs) that goes with it, you know. Well, I have this deck here. Um, What is it? What's up for you? Is there anything um, you want additional insight into? Is there a quandary? Are there different options? What might there be? I am the most basic of bitches and <laughs> have been asking the same questions of eight balls since I was 10. So it's a love life reading for me. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. Cla- I like to think of them as classics, not basic, but okay. Yeah. And, and I guess in a larger context, intimacy and maintaining that and attracting that. Okay, so um, so is the question right now, like, are you looking to kind of like have more activity in the love sphere? Is that like what's what you're wanting? Yeah, okay, like any activity. Okay, so first let's do, what does the love sphere look like? And we're looking at this like into the future. Maybe I feel like my readings are usually into the next six months. They're not, they're not well. too long. Um, so what is like the next sort of season of love look like in this, in the sphere? Okay. All right. Card number one, the chariot. Oh, all right. That's good. That is strong. Chariot's an interesting one. Yeah. The chariot is an interesting one. Um, And it's so funny because it's like also the chariot of war. And then you get the princess of swords and she's a fighter. She is definitely destroying the temple, destroying the temple of love. And then abundance, Morgan, three of cups. Wow. I got three of cups. I think it's maybe the first time I've ever gotten that card. <laughs> I'm happy to be giving it to you. I mean, can I ask you, like you were saying you've been in therapy and like you've been asking this question. I mean, is this, is like your relationship to love and to intimacy, is it something that you're sort of hashing out in therapy? Is it something that like, 
mm-hmm. that you're kind of yeah. working on? It's like my last frontier, you know, like I, I have completed all of the, um, all the original goals I set out for myself as a kid. Oh my God. Other than that. Congratulations. And, yeah, thanks. I mean, and now I have new ones, but yeah. and, you know, yeah. there was a phase where I hit that and still there was this and, and then I hit other goals and still there was this. So it, it kind of remains this like mysterious. I mean, my, my Venus is in Capricorn. Oh God, me too. So, really? It's so weird, it's so isn't it? confusing to me because Capricorn feels very foreign to to me in my way. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess that, you know, that helps illuminate because it really is an area that is hard for me to figure out. And I am, you know, frankly, like becoming scared of how hard it is to figure out Mm -hmm. with every single year. And um, yeah, I I think I just need something's got to change. Right. But I feel a little bit static. This is so interesting. So this is what I've learned about Capricorn, because it's always been a mystery to me, too, as somebody who's deeply ungrounded, totally a total (laughs) wildling, like how, you know, like, but I'm older now. And what I've what I've figured out about the Capricorn, first of all, it's like Capricorn want it's the, you know how it's the mountain goat it wants to climb it wants to ascend so there's something about in relationship in partnership and in intimacy it has to feel like it's going somewhere which can be hard if you're a free spirit and you're like i don't know what is a relationship let's just you know be astral lovers you know it's like your your venus capricorn will be like no actually can we get some structure i'd like you to sign that and that can be very um a, a source of conflict maybe with the rest of your chart there's also something about it. it's very loyal but also capricorn is a sign that gets younger with age. And so there's actually something about like, I hear you saying like, oh, time is running out, you know, which is also very, that's also very Capricorn, like Capricorn will always remind you that time is running out. But weirdly, it also gets younger with age. So I'm just wondering if in your love sphere, you will find that you actually have more looseness and freedom and liberation and fun and less blocked roads as you age. So I don't think you necessarily need to worry about that. But getting back to these three cards, starting with the chariot, I mean, like, go for it. I mean, you got to do something. I'm like, you got to do something. Yeah, you do. You get it. I mean, the chariot is action, right? And it's just like, it's, it's a little fearless. It's because it's so it's so meaningful. It's so meaningful. It's a cancer card. And you actually have two cancer cards, which is a big deep love card, right? And so it's like you've you actually are like such a loving being like, it's not so cheesy to be like, you got a lot of love to give, but you do like, (laughs) you really do. Yeah, I feel that I feel that this princess of swords. She's interesting paired with the chariot because she is uh, trying to figure out how to read her in a love reading. She's really, she's a little harsh, but her harshness is often called for, right? Like in this scenario, she's she's destroying the temple, but the temple is corrupt. It needs to come down. Mm-hmm. You could ask to talk to the manager, but that's not her style. And not all situations call for that kind of style. Sometimes right. you need to burn down the temple. So it's making me wonder like what aspects of your temple of love need to be destroyed, you know? And that's why I, I like that. Like, this is something that you hash out in therapy. Therapy is in the realm of the swords. It's the the realm of the mind. So it's like continuing to do that, continuing to tear down false narratives, false beliefs, you know, like um, internalized bullshit that doesn't need to be there um, so that you can keep so that in its place can grow this beautiful sense of abundance with these beautiful cards and communicating love. And it's like really interesting. It's like, I don't know um, if it's hard for you to sort of communicate your desires or loves or vulnerabilities in that way. But this is definitely pushing you to do that. Like I would say if you've got your eye on, (laughs) you're like, I don't like it. (laughs) Vulnerability, huh? (laughs) 
I mean, that's the paradox, right? And that's this, yeah. and, and that, and, and I also, I do want to say this is the shadow side of her. She's very not vulnerable. Like she's that person who's just like my way or the highway. I'm coming mm-hmm. in and I'm trashing this place. And it's like, we love her for that in some scenarios. She could be a little tough in love. So it's all right. like, what are, what defenses might you have around feeling vulnerable, you know, that, that can end up keeping love a little at bay when that's not mm-hmm. really what you want. That's not your highest goal. Looking right. at that part of yourself that feels scared of love. And so wants to poke it in the eye with your stick, you know, just like getting to know that, that little princess of swords and be being like, it's okay. You don't have yeah. to, you don't have to protect the temple because I'm the chariot. I actually have this covered. Like I actually know how to be in a relationship. I know how to be a human. I know how, I know that I want love. I know how to do it. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. She's very like in the way. I feel that. But I feel the chariot energy also. The chariot is 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 bigger than her, right? It's a major arcana and she's a court card. Look, she's like actually is very vulnerable, really. She's just like this little person, right? right. She's got a helmet, but like that's it. And then the chariot, it's like you've got all this beautiful golden armor. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's like you're protected. Like you don't need to be this like on the attack little because like you're actually, you're, you're actually safe. And it's just like maybe somehow knowing that you're safe mm. or allowing yourself yeah. to be like, okay, I don't feel like I'm safe, but I'm going to act as if I'm safe. And just sort of knowing that like you can handle yourself. Like mm-hmm. if, and if, and if it feels bad to be vulnerable, you'll be able to pick yourself up after that. Cause look what's on the other side of it. It's three beautiful pomegranate cups being filled with lotus water. Yum. That's the stuff. These are all sag problems that you're having. Okay, listen, what if you assembled a coterie? Did I use that word properly? A a group of your friends who you love and trust, and you say to them, you're in charge of my dating app. I want you to take flattering pictures of me, and I want you to write my profile. What if you do that? It's out of your hands, and it turns into a weird collaboration with your friends that since we were talking about how communities are sort of like covens and their actions are like spells, could it be a sort of a love spell for you? I will take up this challenge. I like you taking this challenge. I feel like that cancer card wants action. And honestly, cancer is your family chosen and otherwise. So why not involve Mm -hmm. your family? It's like, yeah, there is no like family match, you know, local community matchmaker. Something so large doesn't feel like it should be outside of community. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like I want input or I want something, some kind of um, involvement and investment yeah. from my people. I love that. I Yes. You, okay. You're going to have like a board of advisors. Your Tinder account has an advisory board and they, will, about that. Yeah, they will take your pictures. They will write the, the copy and just watch out, watch out for that princess of swords that you're not being unduly harsh or unduly saying no. It's going to yeah. push your comfort level a little bit. But like, can you push your comfort level a little bit right. and like open it up a little bit? That is the most sad thing is like, yes, let me learn forever, yes. you know, um, <laughs> and let me like philosophize about how to be in the world. So it, it really is just a, a matter of, um, yeah, wanting to bring someone into that. And not kind of change my my ways, but my ways being, you know, trying to figure out what I need to do to move forward or whatever. And and if everyone, <laughs> if everyone that buys my book just like says a little prayer for me to find love, you know, do you hear that, listeners? Readers, please help me. <laughs>
Howdy folks, I'm Vera Blossom, a producer here at Your Magic, and today I've got a spell that you can channel your fandom into. Fandom can be seen as this foolishly obsessive thing, especially in women, but it can also be beautiful to have so much passion. You can use this spell to channel your devotion into a traveling altar, one that will bring out your most passionate fangirl who couldn't possibly feel embarrassed or self-conscious about her enthusiasm. By the end, you'll have a beacon of dopamine you can look at to remind yourself just how much love and positive feeling you're capable of. This traveling altar is an Ita bag, which is essentially a bag that is covered in fan paraphernalia, like pins, stickers, and patches. Ita bag translates to painful bag in Japanese, referring to the pain that you put your bag through by pricking it full of pins, or the pain you put your wallet through for buying so much fandom merch. But I think that sometimes we can even feel so much passion for something that it physically hurts us too. So first, you'll need an obsession. A fave. Someone you stan. Hard. It can be anything or anyone. Your favorite musician, a band, a character from a TV show. Anything that captures your imagination. Then, you'll need a tote bag. From there, it's pretty much fair game. Gather or make pins with your fave printed on them. Or print out photos on iron-on paper. Anything that you can use to dedicate to your icon. Channel all your passion into your hands and start decorating your Ita bag. Cover it in all the merch. Safety pin magazine cutouts, write lyrics in Sharpie. Cover every inch in those pins you bought off eBay. Tell a story with your decorations. Take however long you need, whether it's a few hours or days or even weeks. Once you're done, you have an Ita bag, an altar to your devotion. Allow yourself to change the pins out as your interests change, or begin a whole new bag when you found a new fire for your fandom elsewhere. Above all else, wear your Ita bag loud and proud. Thank you, Vera Blossom, for this incredible spell slash fashion craft project. I really love this one. Acts of devotion like Vera's Ita bag are so powerful. Sometimes magic calls us to wear our hearts on our sleeves, to flex that crucial metaphorical muscle. As fans enthralled to art that moves us, we're witnesses to the mystery of creativity. And as fans among fans, we can find each other and become small covens, training our enthusiasms and bonding over shared passions. Being a fan, I think, makes life worth living. May someone's art sweep you off your feet this week. Thanks for tuning into Your Magic. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Is Your Magic. And you can subscribe to us right here on Spotify. Just do what you need to to never miss an episode. Sign up for our newsletter at thisisyourmagic.com and get more musings from our team of spiritual seekers. And you can email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We love hearing from you. This episode was produced and edited by Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, and Vera Blossom. We got production support from Veronica Agard, Christine Marr, and Raven Yamamoto. Our executive producers are Ben Cooley, myself, and Molly Elizalde. Our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Tune in next week for a conversation with drag queen Peaches Christ. Thanks for listening.